Podcasting has become one of the most fulfilling things in my entire life. Today, we have the privilege of sitting down with two friends who are very successful podcasters in their own right. And we really dive into the intricacies of the shift from podcasting starting as a hobby to it eventually blooming into a full life path that can feed you back in so many ways. It's rare, actually that you sit down with somebody and you have their radical, full attention. To have that conversation is priceless in and of itself. It's not about just having a good show. The days of that working on its own, it's not really around. Don't ask the same in questions. You have to be able to prove that you're gonna be able to package their time in a way that's going to be effective. Your own mastery, when crossed with the mastery of the guests that you have, that creates some of the most magical moments for you. People struggle with this balance of the artistry of what you want to create versus what the algorithms reward you for creating. If your goal is to have a successful show, if your goal is to make a career out of your creativity, that is a different thing from just self-expression. This is important to talk about because people can have real value that would be supportive to so many people, but because you don't know how to package it, it's not reaching those people. It's very much, how do I stick out in the sea of content? What's the number one thing that's contributed to the most growth of your show? beautiful beings welcome back to the know thyself podcast where every single week we get the honor and privilege to sit down with some of the most brilliant minds to learn more about the true nature of self and the world around us at deeper levels every single week now today's episode is going to be a slight departure from our typical programming Uh, we have a compilation with two separate podcast guests aubrey and samir and this episode is specifically for anybody that's in this audience that's tuning in right now that has a podcast wants to one day start a podcast or as a content creator and is trying to share their message in the world through video long form podcast creation. Because I know for me, at least this podcast has become one of the most fulfilling things in my entire life. It's such an honor and privilege to be able to sit down with these guests every single week and learn so much about myself and then get to be able to produce it and share it with you guys and provide lots of value for the world. So today we have the privilege of sitting down with two friends who are very successful podcasters in their own right. First, we have Aubrey Marcus, who's had a top philosophical podcast in the charts for many, many years, garnered tens of millions of plays and downloads. And we really talk with him about the journey of landing big guests, the importance of clarifying your mission, really why you're doing what you're doing when it comes to the podcast journey, the power of consistency and staying at it for years. And then after that, we sit down with Samir Chaudhry to do a deep dive. He is one half of the Colin and Samir show. And we go into the dance between catering to our creativity versus the algorithm, the important factors when deciding to grow a video podcast the back end monetization side of things he also busts out his back end to show you how much money a channel with millions of views per month actually gets and we really dive into the intricacies of the shift from just being a podcaster to it growing to eventually being a full-blown business model so just as a reminder as always we have timestamps chapters in the description below where you can hop around and choose the specific topics that are going to be most valuable to you we do about 30 minutes with aubrey and then almost an hour with samir diving into some more of the back end business side of things and so Go to wherever is going to be most serving for you. And before we do that, I just want to quickly announce our first product, really, our first course that Know Thyself, that myself are putting out there. And I'm really excited about it. If any of you have desired to create a show, I know firsthand how fulfilling this has been for me. I've had so much experience in back end, first working with Logan Paul and launching the Impulsive Podcast with over 200 episodes. 
I then went on to create Meraki Media, my production company where we produce other people's podcasts. And then over the past 16 months or so, launching Know Thyself, getting to understand what it's like to be a host and the interviewer, and then also growing this channel to almost 200,000 subscribers now and having over 10 million plays. It's been incredibly rewarding, incredibly fulfilling. And for the first time ever, I've condensed all of my knowledge, experience, and expertise into over 40 videos, which is a downloadable course that's called Podcast with Purpose. And so if you guys are interested, I'll just leave it there. Go to podcastpurpose.com and you can get more information what that's all about. I'm very excited about it. I feel very confident about the curriculum and that for anybody that has the itch of creating a podcast or has one and wants to take it to the next level or is a content creator, there is so much value in each module packed in to really give you what you need to separate yourself above the noise and really thrive in being able to share your message with the world. So we'll leave links down in the description for that as well. We'll go ahead and start with Aubrey and I'll see you on the inside. Aubrey. Andre. <laughs> what has been the most rewarding thing about podcasting for you? It's the conversations themselves. Like there's, it's rare actually that you sit down with somebody and you have their radical full attention for however long it is, an hour, two hours, three hours, However long your podcast is, it's just you and that person and not another thought matters. And to have that conversation is priceless in and of itself. Like as they say in the Hebrew lineage, lishma for its own sake. That type, that type of conversation for its own sake is worth it. So if I had to eliminate everything else, I would still keep it just for those moments. Mm. So rewarding. And it's just a bonus that it gets to get shared with people and then it's valuable for them. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and that's that's also beautiful as well yeah. because you get to share your your wisdom, your gifts, your experiences, your art sometime, whatever it might be, you get to share that. And you also get to share other people's, you know, ideas, even some people that nobody knows. Mm -hmm. And you allow them to be able to speak and reach an audience. So that's also beautiful. But the conversation itself mm -hmm. is where I really you know, find the, the greatest value. What's well, one aspect of podcasting that has been unexpected, but like very fulfilling that it's, that's a part of it. I think it's when I have a guest that I'm like, yeah, all right, maybe. And then that guest just comes on and blows my mind. Mm -hmm. And that guest then becomes like an ally, a friend, it becomes someone who I connect with and you know, there's been a lot of friendships that have been born from strangers who I've just interviewed on a podcast that there was such connection that um, that it developed into a relationship. And relationships are what I treasure, you know, more than anything in life. Hmm. What do you feel like, because you've been po podcasting for a long time, what do yeah. you feel like is the number one thing that's contributed most to the growth of your show? I think that... Um, one, it's, you know, I've just been at it for a long time, you know, and, and that consistency of, of just continually putting out shows. And I'm, I'm only one show a week, but nonetheless, it's like consistently for the last, I don't know, I guess over 10 years, 12 years, something like that, I've been doing shows. And there was periods where they were more intermittent. Um, but nonetheless, like for a really long time, I've just been consistently doing it. 
And I think that's allowed me to become better as a podcaster. And I also have my own style. I don't do things exactly the same way that everybody else does. It's more of a conversation. And I really was baptized in that style by Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan doesn't come with a list of questions. And he may talk to some expert about some field and end up talking to them about wolves for 45 <laughs> or minutes. Bears. Or bears. Or bears. Pretty, pretty <laughs> <Yeah>. frequently. <laughs> yeah. And he doesn't care. Yeah. You know, he just is having that conversation. And, uh, and I think that's, that's my style. So it's to, to know your style and then to, you know, just choose interesting conversations and to continue to get better and to evolve and to stick with it. Mm. I, I read some stats somewhere that some 93% of podcasts quit before episode 13, mm. you know, cause they're just not seeing the results they're looking for. But, uh, I think if you really, if you really want it, you got to stick with it. You got to have a good plan. And, um, and then just keep going. Mm. Yeah. The one updated set that I saw is 93% of all podcasts don't make it past episode three. And of, the, of the podcasts that do, 90% don't make it past episode 20. Damn. So, like getting to episode <laughs> 20, you're in the top 1% of podcasts. Wow. But it's so, for people to hear that, obviously you've been doing it for 10 years. And no matter which way you cut it, podcasts are a slow burn. And that's why it's really important for you to have that leashma, that like that joy for it in and of itself. Otherwise, you're not going to have the longevity for that consistency, which is so necessary for it mm -hmm. to actually grow. Yeah. Because I mean, people see that you have a big show now, and 10 years is a long time to be doing that yeah. consistently. Yeah. So it's it like is. you have to you love it. That? Yeah. You have to love it. Mm. You know, you really have to love love podcasting you have to look forward to it it's not like oh i gotta do a podcast today you're like oh i get to do a podcast today yeah sweet mm. what so you spoke into it a little bit what does your preparation for for shows look like i have a kind of general rule that if somebody's going to be talking about a book i'm going to read the book mm. i have you know i have an ability to read very fast so that allows me to actually move through a book really quickly some books I can't, it, I actually have to move really slow. Um, and, but I, that's one of the things that I always, that I'll always do is if there's a body of knowledge that is contained in a book, I'll always do that. Sometimes um, with some people, it's just, they don't have a body of work. So I just trust myself mm -hmm. I trust myself to navigate and listen. And as I podcast, you know, for me, I always see a forking road of possibilities. And one of the challenging things is to know, all right, I have to take one of these roads. Do I circle back to this this one place right. where we might get we might get find ourselves in this kind of bracket for a little while? Do I indulge in that or do I stay on the through line of the conversation? And so, but I'm I'm always kind of I'm staying present, but also seeing ahead to the forking paths. And I'll have typically I'll write out like landmark like destinations that I want to get to. And I'll just look at those destinations and I want to make sure that one way or another, I'll find my way to those destinations. Anchor points. Anchor points. Mm. I also, I mean, for me, especially if there's a more, if it's a bigger guest, like Dispenza, I got kind of a notice. There was like seven to 10 days before he was going to come on. I read his all of his books, but like on three times speed on audio while I was reading it. So listening and reading at the same time. And I felt mm -hmm. like that really allowed me to go through it and still digest it and highlight it. And I feel like it's really important to honor your guests. Like they're giving you your time, all the people totally. that are tuning in. Um, and, and they can tell. They can tell if you've actually read their book. Of course. And when they don't. Yeah. And, and when you have it. And it makes a big difference for them, you know. And, and also when you don't ask the same fucking questions. Yeah. 
that everybody that everybody asks you. Like if I get asked one more time, so what made you what made you decide you wanted to build on it? I'm like, oh my God, how many <laughs> times can I answer this same fucking question? Right. But really good interviewers like yourself and like, you know, some of the best out there, they will approach that. Even if they're curious about that, they'll approach it in a different way. So it'll elicit a novel response. And to me, that's the territory I like to get to. I'd like to get to territory that hasn't been well trodden. Mm. You're like the captain of the ship as the podcast host, host, right? You talked about how you're present, you're listening, you want to engage with to what's alive in the moment and you're feeling to where it can go next, right? And so you're kind of the steward in this conversation. Mm-hmm. And so I just love for you to share as you've done it so many times, obviously by from episode one to 50 to 500, your comfort and ease that you carry within yourself and really trust that you, that you can rely on just the unconscious stored memory and information mm-hmm. in yourself that you can do it. Um, what the, the process of the interview, I'm just curious if you have any other more insights um, for guiding that process. <laughs> I would say that there's occasionally times, right? If you're podcasting where you're going to get stuck and you're going to lose what question you had. And it's important to, you know, to know and to have the experience of how you maneuver out of those situations where you get stuck or you get a, you get into a place where some big thing erupts and it's like, oh, wow, we're really off the thread of this thing and like what to bring back. And so, and also to make sure that if I close down a category, like let's say a guest talks about something and I want to expand that, I'm comfortable like, okay, before we go on to the next thing, let's bracket this next thing you're going to talk about. We'll circle back to it. But I want to go deeper Mm -hmm. into this, into this one thing. Let's really explore this. But then when you make that promise that you're going to go explore that thing, do it. Like have that mental note, like you got to close that loop yeah. at some point. Don't leave the listener hanging about something, you know, like take your time exploring what you're going to explore, but close the loop that you're going to explore. Mm. And if you find yourself in one of those kind of brain fart moments where you're like, where do I go? Like that you have something that you've patterned, a place that you could go that even if it's a little bit non sequitur, it's like you have something stored, you have something chambered. I imagine, I'm not a comic, but I imagine comics have that as well, where they could get in a flow, but they always have some fallback joke. Maybe it was from some old material or something like that, but they got something in the, you know chambered and ready that if they, and maybe it could be even a question that you ask multiple different guests, you know, right. like, and, and so to have that ready, so if you get in a position, in a position where you're stuck, that it, you're not worried. Like, you know that you have a plan. It feels like the podcast, at least in my own experience, and I want to hear yours, the podcasts that are most impactful for the listeners is the one where you can almost kind of, you crack this code of authenticity and vulnerability and take people into uncharted territory where mm-hmm. they haven't gone in conversation. And I'm, I'm, is, just, is there anything that comes up from you when you look at the podcasts that have really stood out? Um, how did you angle things in a way that that brought people into more vulnerability and and kind of opening up in a way? Sometimes it can be a question, but it has to be a, a question where because there's a kind of um, there's a kind of adapt emotional adaptation and emotional tolerance to answering the same thing, um, and so both as a guest you know, you want to be able to navigate to a place that you haven't spoken about, you know, before. And there's usually fresh emotions there. So as a guest, like that's, 
those are moments that are special to be when I'm a guest. And mm. we just did a podcast. You navigated me into a place with my father, and it was a surprising place where I got emotional. I was talking about you know, playing three-on-three basketball and remembering how my dad used to play that and just remembering that moment that I had with my friends. I've never talked about that moment. So that moment was fresh for me. And it was a combination of your question, but also my willingness to go into that. And so as a host, you can try to just cue up the opportunity to get people into by maybe going really slow, maybe unpacking a little bit more detail, and maybe just leading with your heart and compassion and you know, also expressing your emotions. Emotions are contagious. So like if you get really emotional, you know, that will bring in a field of vulnerability. Um, so a lot of the, a lot of the great shows, you know, like I've had deeply emotional moments and once I have a deeply emotional moment, then there's a permission field for the guest mm. to have a deeply emotional moment. So it's really kind of leading by example in that way is what I've found elicits kind of the, the most powerful responses because a lot of the best podcast guests you know best by like they get the biggest reach and have such a powerful impact you know someone like let's take joe Dispenza; he's one of my favorite people to interview but he has he's practiced what he said so many times so i go into that show and i'm like all right how do i get him off course how do i get him into uncharted territory because he's genius in the uncharted territory but if you aren't careful he'll say the same thing that he said on a lot of other podcasts and so it's like all right, let's find a way. Let's navigate. Let's develop some, you know, some pathway that can lead to some novel insight that hasn't been shared. Mm. Yeah, it really feels like, I mean, it could be a little bit more fresh and clunky in the beginning. If you're doing it with cameras and mics, a lot of people listening to this might be exploring probably remote podcasts. There comes a point when like the technology, the mics, they kind of melt away. And then it's just two people having a conversation, opening yep. up their consciousness to each other. And you become that steward for the conversation and energetically, whatever you allow to open in the space. I feel like within yourself, you also give that permission like you're speaking to with a guest. In the growth of your show, how have you navigated getting bigger and bigger guests? And what has your process been Um and, and yeah, getting people that you want on the show that you don't have access to initially in the journey of that. You know, the, the bigger you become as a personality, the more discretion you have about which shows you're willing to do. So in some cases, it's just because they're your friend. You know, like Aaron Rodgers did my show twice because we're brothers, we're friends. So that's one way. The other way is typically maybe they really resonate with your message but oftentimes they haven't heard of you you know it's just gonna be the reality so then you have to kind of show some of the big shows that you've done if you have anything that's really done well whether it's cumulative like i've gotten this many total views or whether it's yeah we did this show and it got you know two and a half million views so if we do this i think this show could be really big and impactful so you know, it's just the it's just the cold truth out there that you know you have to be able to prove that you're going to be able to package their time in a way that's going to be effective. You know, for them to actually share their message and also that they're going to enjoy the conversation. How big is your team that you have working with you behind the scenes for your own podcast to make it come to life at this stage? So, just for the podcast team, so I have my podcast technician. His name's Derek, and then I have. Um, somebody of christian who works on guest curation and trying to look at the field kind of scout the field for interesting guests 
correspondence with those guests. And then he works on, you know, cultivating the assets and the YouTube and how that's kind of packaged and optimized. And then, you know, we have a kind of general other, you know, kind of team that works on a lot of other things that we'll pull in for special situations. But really it's mostly, mostly those two people, mm. you know. And uh, so the podcast team is kind of small. Now I did a podcast with Diary of a CEO, you know, Stephen, and man, he's got a big team. He's got like 15 people working on a show. And I was like, whoa, you know, like this is like impressive. It was like going to a movie set. You know, and um, and so I think it can be done a variety of different ways. And you go to someone like Duncan Trussell, he's got a big show, and it's just Duncan. <laughs> like, that's yeah. all there is. It's just Duncan. Mm -hmm. He knows how to work his gear. He knows how to set it up. And so, you know, there's a variety of different ways that I've seen it done well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it feels like so important to, like we spoke to earlier, find that lane, that niche, that, and, and it's part of a, self-discovery process this whole process of you know expression and um clarifying who you are and the message messages that you want to share is such a big part of clarifying who you have on your show the name of the show the branding of the show um, the conversations that you have in steward and so i mean we spoke to a lot in our previous podcast just now but of like how important it really is to clarify who you are and what you want to right. create in life that will inform all the manifestations of the podcast and how it, you know, shapes. So anything else? I think that's a really important, it's, you have to decide whether you want to, whether you want to have a theme for your show or you want to base it around yourself as like the complexity of who you are. Now my show began as before anybody knew who the fuck Aubrey Marcus was, it began as the Warrior Poet Project. Because to me, I wanted to approach the show using that as a frame of like, here's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the bringing together of these two ideas that people think are separate, but are really actually the same, you know, really can be brought together in, in a single individual and are important as synergistic properties. But then eventually I got like, well, this doesn't really have anything to do with warrior poets, what I'm talking about at this point. And actually the only thing that makes sense for me is to call my podcast my name because I don't know what I'm going to talk about. I might talk about business. I might talk about romance. I might talk about psychedelics. I might talk about, you know, mindset. I might, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. I might talk about health, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so there's just different ways to approach it. And I would say that if you're starting out and no, and you don't have a name that's built and, and people that understand it, I think having a concept for your show that pe gives people an idea about what the show is about is I think probably the better way to go. And then if you already are a big name type of personality, um, then naming the show, you know, after yourself, right. like eponymously, is that the word? But <laughs> but, uh, but naming the show after yourself is, um, is also like a pretty good idea. Obviously, Joe Rogan's a good example of someone yeah. who's done that really well. Aubrey Marcus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Aubrey Marks podcast. Yeah. yeah. No, I think it's it's really beautiful for people that are trying to create the name for the show to feel into what is the categories that I want to explore without pigeonholing myself too much. If you, right. You know, if you love personal development, but you just make your show about 
only inner child healing, maybe that's something that you just want to cover. But if that's just one aspect of a larger array of topics that you want to cover, mm -hmm. then maybe you find a name that kind of is more all-encompassing and a bigger umbrella, but um, still defines kind of the, the themes that you're going to explore. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. How have you dealt with sponsors and like the money of the show? And, you know, obviously for you, you've had businesses that have kind of fed also your own podcast. You haven't mm. need to in a traditional style, you know, make money from the show as many people would like to, you know, a few years into it perhaps. Um, but I'm just curious your journey with sponsorships and in, in, in dealing with the revenue that comes from the business of podcasting. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't think my podcast has ever been really a driver of revenue purely in the show itself it has we've made some money we've had different pod we've had different sponsors and for me what's really important is you know the core ethos to me is authenticity so i have to go through like a a in-depth approval process yeah. for any of the sponsors that you know i'm working with if it's a mattress i gotta sleep on it you know like literally you know they got to send me one if it's a whatever it is if i'm you know mudwater is one of my sponsors i gotta like mudwater you yeah. know and like the people who who are behind it so um you know that limits some of the revenue but it also like keeps the integrity of what i'm offering but really what i found is my own products my own books my own programs my own things the podcasts are incredibly valuable for like really exposing the world to those so that's where i think the real revenue is and you know youtube has we just turn ads on and that money comes in and um you know that money comes in and and i think when you get really big that money can get big um but that's kind of like more hands-off it's more about just optimizing your channel optimizing each video and making sure that you're getting the reach um but that's been kind of a more hands-off approach but yeah we have a uh, we work with you know somebody who helps line up sponsors and work yeah. with sponsors to bring them to the show and uh sometimes you'll be able to make individual separate deals and things like that but it's pretty much just like all right these are the potential sponsors which ones do you like yes yes no no and figuring out from right there. yeah Okay, beautiful. I think we covered a lot. And I mean, there's a lot of nuance in, in the back end of podcasting that I'll probably cover on my own on this podcast or other other shows. Um, but for you, I mean, we look at the in podcast industry, which has been booming over the past decade, billion, billion dollar industry. And it can feel intimidating to think it's so saturated, which to a degree it is. There's so many shows, there's so many podcasts. And so for people that are they have this desire to raise consciousness. They want to be conscious content creators. They want to start their own podcast. Um, is there any other words that you have, you know, whether, you know, empowering people into it or to like almost scare them out of it? Like, do you really want this? You know, do you, do you understand what this is going to take out of you? And if it's something that would be more simplistic and is a, is a hobby and that's a passion for you, that's beautiful. But if you want to, you know, grow into something that is really sustaining you one day, then it's something to, to really understand what, what comes into it all so yeah i think the the big question that what i'll always say i always say the same thing is like if you're doing this because you want to have great conversations then do it you know like that's the only thing that that i'll say like that you have to be doing it for that otherwise unless you're just a real wizard at you know kind of and you have a real gift and you're able to you know really make make moves happen fast which you know is possible we were just talking about that in the kitchen. It is possible to come out of nowhere and just really make a splash, but you have to have a lot of technical details down. You have to really understand the field that you're playing in 
to a great extent and understand all of the different channels and the ways to promote and all the whole you have to understand a, a whole variety of different things so do the podcast if you just want the conversations and otherwise it's like you know buckle up it's going to be a real ride and it's you know i don't necessarily recommend podcasts to most people other than just to say like do it for the conversation because it's it's a difficult game it's a difficult game to break into and uh but when you do it's not only and you're doing it for the conversations not only do you have the conversations but it can develop into something really rewarding mm. Yeah, the potential for you be, to be able to make a living having the conversations that you want to have and have it be an offering to the world feels like probably one of the best jobs you could possibly have on the planet. Mm -hmm. Like it's so beautiful, it's so rewarding. And there's those moments where your first year, like your listeners were so probably so small. Same for me. So many yeah. of the big podcasters, it came from that excitement initially of just the love of it. And then yeah. a lot of times it can blossom into something beautiful in the years to come. Yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, and you really have to be willing to, you really have to be willing to know the the technical elements of like, yeah. it's just not about just, it's not about just having a good show. Like that's the days of, you know, the days of that working on its own. I think those, the, that's not really, it's not really around. You do need a good show. Like that is a, that is a requirement. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to produce good content, but you have to be able to package that content yep. and you have to be able to deliver it in a way that works with the systems that actually deliver and disseminate. And you really start to see, you know, you really start to see growth when you can hack into the different elements like audio podcasting is also different than YouTube podcasting. Yep, you know, growing audio podcasting is really difficult, but it's kind of like, if you're in the top 100 list frequently, then you're growing frequently because that's typically how people are finding audio podcasts still, I think. Yeah, it's it's so hard to grow in audio. It's like YouTube has, there, there's no really discovery feature on Spotify or Apple. They're, right. they're, they're, Spotify especially is optimizing for a lot of really cool things and new features, but YouTube, you can have a video and if you know how to package it, you can blow up with- You can blow up. Yeah, knowing how to package it. Yeah, and then on, but on the audio side, really the only discovery is the top lists. Mm -hmm. So it's difficult and yeah. it's difficult to, to pierce into that. So I've seen a lot of growth on YouTube, but very, you know, very kind of stable, yeah. you know, stable viewer listenership on audio. Now there's variance depending on that because there's a lot of subscribers and there's right. a lot of content. So they'll choose which show. People are choosy, but it's not like I'm experiencing an overall lift because I'm right at that cusp where maybe I'm making the top 100 with a really good show. But I'm also not the way that Apple, you know, the way that Apple works is it's a combination of, you know, especially for your show, if you do three shows a week, well, you're going to get higher up in the rankings than me who does, does one show. Right. So it's going to be very difficult. So single episodes will get up there when I have a big guest, but... So it's it's complicated to grow audio, but but YouTube has a lot of potential. And then if you're already doing podcasts on YouTube, do other stuff on YouTube. Yeah. Like look at YouTube as a whole category and podcasts is one category within your YouTube channel and then really make cool shorts. Yeah. I've seen some people just blow up their whole business, their whole life just doing shorts. You know, my friend Steven Jaggers, breathwork, you know, breathwork coach, fucking blew up on YouTube shorts huge subscriber numbers and and uh and his business has really blossomed because he just figured that 
you figured that one piece of of that platform out and really just dominated with it. Yeah. Learning those ancillary skill sets that complement you as a podcaster in the packaging and the marketing and the editing and and that's that's super important if you desire the real growth of your show. Again, if if you don't really care the size of your show and you're just doing it because you just want to do it, like that's another thing, but the problem with that is though the you really want to have conversations with the most interesting people. Mm-hmm. And the most interesting people are only going to do your show unless you're already friends with them or you've met them through a mutual friend, which then they'll be like, no, you're my buddy, I'll do it. Right. You know, I still do shows with my buddies, even if they have a really small show. You're my friend. Of course I'll do your show. But for the most part, it's like, no, you know, I'm yeah. sorry. Like I have, you know, there's a lot of things I can do with my time and mm-hmm. I love you and I love what you're doing. Keep going. And if you reach, you know, if you reach certain thresholds of numbers where your shows can reach hundreds of thousands of people, like, all right, right. let's fucking go. Yeah. Um, and so I always leave the door open, but, um, but yeah, I mean, and so the most interesting conversations are going to happen when you have growth. So even if you're in it for the conversations, paying attention to your growth and your reach is important because then you'll have even more interesting conversations with more interesting individuals who have deeper levels of mastery in certain subjects. Mm. Yeah, it's like that shift from just having a show and like asking for favors and begging for bigger names to come on your show to creating a platform that those individuals would be stoked to come on because right. it's special and it's right. got reach. Right. So so yeah, I fully I fully love that. Is there anything else within anything that we didn't touch that you want to share? No, I mean, I, I think that uh, it's a it's a journey. You got to enjoy each part of the journey, you know, and don't think that when you reach a certain level, you're going to be satisfied because you're not, <laughs> you know, like you got to be satisfied with every step of the way, but you have to have a, you have to know the trajectory, the telos of where you're going. You have to enjoy each part of the process and and also be patient and not take it personal, you know, like you know, I'll reach out to, I've had some amazing, you know, really big name guests and there's other guests that, you know, I haven't got yet. Like Russell Brand, for example, you know, I really want to do a podcast with Russell and I'll reach out to him and he'll be like, ah, you know, Russell's not doing shows. And then I'll see him on like, he'll be flying to Austin to do Joe's show. I'm like, you are doing shows, <laughs> you know, like I know you're doing shows. It's okay. That was a nice thing to say. I understand the courtesy of saying that rather than saying, Sorry, Aubrey, you're just not big enough yet. And I take that like, all right, well, one day, you know, one day, like I'm going to keep going. And one day, you know, one day I will be that irresistible show mm-hmm. that you're going to want to go on. Mm-hmm. And uh, and whenever that day comes, I look forward to it. And and it's just, it's not being, it's not being afraid or worried or, or, or worried about the rejection that may come, but building, 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 and and just being that, magnetic irresistible force that one day will mm. draw you know your your dream guests to be a part of your show mm. i love that discovering what that magnetism you personally have what is your unique unfair advantage in a way because of the life mm-hmm. experience that you have or maybe you have a background in editing or interviewing or there's something you can lean into that is uniquely you that isn't uniquely other people <laughs> as much. yeah and, and for me also like being a guest mm. on shows has been also really helpful so I've had, you know, I saw a lot of growth when I published Own the Day, Own Your Life, which ended up being a best-selling book. But that got me on a lot of shows because podcasters also want to know, like, what am I going to talk to this guy about? You know, like, what are, what are, what, what are we going to dive into? Mm-hmm. And so when you have a book, and especially a successful book, that really is a, is a tide that can lift all ships. And um, 
so you know as i'm writing my next book i can see like all right this next book is another opportunity Mm -hmm. for people to really read my book because again it's important to to give that to your guests to give them the honor of reading it so some won't read it but some will read it many will and they'll be like wow all right and then we'll really get to dive into some interesting subjects and topics so you know that'll be another level so other things you do in your life that make you an interesting guest also then helps grow your show like my friend you know a good friend from austin chris williamson you know he's a great podcaster great podcaster really prepares well is really dedicated um but also has a lot of interesting things to say and so joe invited him onto joe's show you know chris couldn't get joe to come on his show but he was interesting enough that Joe invited him to go on his show. And like that, that combination of having enough to say yourself that you get invited on other shows helps your show mm-hmm. a lot. Powerful. I think the last thing I'll say is to find an area of mastery that you can interact with your guests from. So whether that's a deep knowledge of, you know, Buddhist wisdom, Hebrew wisdom, christian mysticism rosicrucianism or something else where you can interact with the guest's body of knowledge by your own you know kind of expertise in your own body of knowledge like that's really cool Mm. because that way you can find the overlapping interlocking points where it's like oh you're describing this thing well let me explain what my body of wisdom either experiential or otherwise can apply to that and that could be lived through your athletic career it's like yeah that reminds me this concept you're saying of this time we were down you know 17 nothing at halftime and like this thing happened through me or i just experienced whatever like your own mastery when crossed with the mastery of the guests that you have that creates some of the most magical moments for Mm. me is is finding those overlaps powerful i think it's it's such a good note to end on and so valuable because for me also with this show, my like my deep devotion to my own spiritual practices and depth of Eastern traditions, like all of that informs so much of how I ask questions and who I have on and mm-hmm. the depth in which we can go in conversation. And if I didn't have that, it just wouldn't that there would be a depth that I would not be able to penetrate because of my own lack of experience or you know wisdom. And so yeah. you with your various experience in life through business, through plant medicine, through relationships, all of that give you so much context to pull and to really dive deep in conversation and not just be question answer question answer and so robotic right yeah and also you want to be in a position where like you know we're friends so it's a different type of thing but fundamentally like you interviewed me today but i want to leave this and i've already wanted to anyways because we're friends that i know you but i would leave the conversation that we had and being like i want to interview you so let let's do a show together as well so when you're interviewing another podcaster like you get to have that dance where it's like, oh, we got to do a show, right. you know? And like, and so it becomes this kind of reciprocal process. And that only happens when you've deepened your own well of, of wisdom mm-hmm. and knowledge. So I look forward to having you on the show, bro. Oh, honored. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> Let's go. Beautiful. Thank you, man. Of course. Today, I am looking forward to be sitting down with Samir Chaudhry, one half of the Colin and Samir show. He's an individual that is being able and has the privilege to sit down with uh, incredible creatives, the most successful creators in this economy of podcasting, of long form, of short form. 
And he's a, he's a brilliant mind when it comes to giving advice for individuals on their journey from zero to hero in the creator space. And he's been a leading voice for millions of people in this whole realm. So I'm excited to dive deep into the business side of podcasting and YouTubing and of long form how to grow a successful show, and then his own journey creating a beautiful platform himself. So Samir, thanks for coming on, bro. I need everyone to know that that was one take. That was incredible. <laughs> <laughs> of course, dude, thanks. Yeah, yeah, it's good. You're here, you're floating, you're meditating I'm on the floating. chairs. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how long I can keep the uh, my legs up like this. If you're listening, my legs are crossed um, on the chair. But yeah, I'm here. This is beautiful. I'm excited. Yeah, it's good to have you here. We were just talking at length before the podcast. And we were like, we just need to stop, shut up and start. Yeah, yeah. Two <laughs> so podcasters talking is tough. It's tough to know when to turn the mics on. Yeah. What I want to start with is something that I think as you grow into becoming a more and more successful creator, a lot of people struggle with this balance of, you know, the artistry of what you want to create versus what the algorithms reward you for creating. And mm -hmm. I've heard you talk about this balance of like what you want to create versus what your audience wants from you versus what the mm -hmm. platform rewards. Yeah. How do you navigate that balance and dilemma of staying true to what you want to create, but then also realizing that certain content performs well and you want to have a successful show. How do you navigate that? I think that it's that last part. Like if your goal is to have a successful show, if your goal is to make a career out of your creativity, um, that is a different thing from just self-expression. And I think that's, that's the most important thing to take a step back and go, what do I want to do with my creativity? Because an artist doesn't really care what the audience thinks, right? An artist makes something and then says, here, interpret it. Um, on the other side of that spectrum, we have people who are distributors. So that's someone who works in a movie studio who says, you know what? We should make another Spider-Man because Spider-Man puts butts in seats. Um, and I think as a creator on the internet, you're, you're somewhere in the middle. And what I think you have to realize is, yes, you are the creative, but you're also the programming executive of your own network right? Like this platform that you have, you're making decisions on what episode to make, partially because of what you want to make, but also you're empathetic towards the people on the other side. And so I think that's where you ha just have to understand your own creativity. Not everyone has to turn their creativity into a career. Um, when I first started, when I first looked at YouTube, I was like, oh, that's a great place to monetize your self-expression. But that's actually not what it is. That is a part of what it is. But what you're actually doing is you're you're building a media property with a ton of empathy towards the environment, the audience, and the platform. And you are a piece of that. If you hate what you're making, it's not going to work. You have to like what you're making, but you have to take into account what the audience wants to watch and what the platform wants at the moment too. Mm -hmm. That's the reality of of building a business doing this. Mm -hmm. I'm excited to dive deeper into that business side of things as well. Uh, but for people that are starting out as, whether it's a podcast, a YouTube podcast, which is a slightly different beast, yeah. uh, you know, or different styles of content, you know, there's so much power in discovering what your lane is, you know, what really lights you up the most in terms of what you want to create in your avenue of creativity. And then the monetization side of things can, you know, come a little yeah. bit later. Um, how important do you feel like it is to clarify what your niche is and what you're going to be talking about and what people know you and your brand as? Yeah, I, th I think um, we've gotten a little bit far away from the opportunity to practice in private. You know, like you think about when you were a kid, did you make videos? Uh, yeah. And where, who did you show them to? Maybe my sister. Yeah. Once. And yeah. the pressure of that is very different from the pressure of uploading a YouTube video. Yeah. And I think this distance between um, having an idea and sharing it, that gap has closed so much today. 
right? You have a thought, you record it on your phone, you post it on your Instagram story. Like that is within 60 seconds, you go from like, ooh, this is cool, I wanna film it, to, oh, I'm sharing it with thousands of people. And I think that, um, you know, there, I don't know how it happens, but I would urge every creative to explore what it feels like to practice in private of making things and just not having the pressure of sharing them, just looking at it, feeling like, is this who I am as a creative? Um, you know, after you get through that hurdle, I do think the most important thing to ask yourself is who is this for? It's okay if the answer is this is for myself, but then you can't expect it to be for a lot of people, right? It's okay for it to be like, I'm making this because I like to make it. But if you, again, if you're trying to do this and, and reach a lot of people and build something out of it, um, you're going to have to answer the question, who is it for? And I think you have to get really hyper-specific with that. You know, when our platform started to take off, both from an audience perspective, but also from a revenue perspective, it's when we uh, took a step back and said, you know, who's this for? And let's define that into three hyper-specific audience segments. And so we said, okay, this is for aspiring creators, people who know they want to create, but, you know, are trying to figure it out for themselves right now. They can film, they can edit, but they, they don't really know how to turn that into something. Professional creators who are doing it, they're making income from it, but now they're trying to get an edge or, um, you know, build upon the business that they already have. And then people who work in the creator industry. So that could be agents, managers, people who work at the platforms. Once we define those archetypes, the next step was to say, what's the value each of them is getting? Why are they watching? Um, what is their transformation? Who are they before they watch an episode and who are they after? And once we dug into that, then our decision-making towards the show changed a lot. And we were able to develop kind of a mission and go, okay, this show exists to educate and empower the next generation of creators. So now everything goes through that filter. And I do think that that intentionality and that focus on value creates a really sticky audience and does create a niche. You know, you have to build yourself into being singular within a category. And you have to answer the question of who's this for? Why do they watch? And why me? Why am I the one to deliver it to them? And if you can answer those questions, you start to get into a space of really understanding why your show exists and what is the return on investment of time people are getting for sitting through an hour of your show. Yeah, it feels like it's that cross-section between what you love to explore and mm -hmm. talk about and then also what you're good at or what expertise do you have. And that kind of creates an area of, you know, topics of exploration yeah. to talk about and people that you want to invite on your show and corresponding to that. Because I feel like that's what uniquely makes us us and qual nobody's qualified to be in this podcasting game. You know, sure. there's no qualification, but uh, what makes us be able to find what our niche is and like get clear on who the avatars are, the individuals that mm -hmm. we're going to be speaking to. I think that's a beautiful breakdown. Um, and so for you, I know with Colin and Samir, the show that you guys have created, it's been a long time coming, getting to the point where you discovered actually there's like this area of creators that we found that we uniquely can contribute to that really we don't see other people contributing in the way that we can. And because you discovered that, then I feel like life, all the, yeah. the audience, all that just kind of matches up to respond to that as well. So anything you else want to share and just like really clarifying and discovering yeah. that and how it's a process? The, the dots connect looking backwards. Like the reality is um, it doesn't work unless you're like actually that person. And, uh, you know, I always say this is the show we wish we had 10 years ago when we first started creating together. 
Um, so creating force yourself or your younger self is a great space to start of like, what is the thing I was missing or what am I missing in my life? Um, and then the other reality of it is like the reason why people were sitting down with us is because we were very much a part of the community. We were working with other people on, you know, their own content. We were behind the scenes with a lot of creators. We were very much from within the community. And I think, um, you have to look around and go, who is the physical community I'm a part of and how can I impact them? Cause like impacting digitally can get really intangible and get really confusing, right? Of just numbers on a screen. And so thinking about like your physical community, that's kind of how we approached it was like, we're spending time with a lot of these creative people who um, are really into YouTube and really into this modern landscape of creativity. Be awesome to sit down with them. And then if we sit down with them, other people in our community will likely want to hear what they have to say and hear our conversations. And then that just starts to organically grow. So like, you know, we can look at this from a strategy standpoint, and that is what you have to do over time as you're trying to grow it. But there's the beginning of it always starts with like, okay, where, who are you actually? What community are you actually part of? What do you actually want to do? Because like you said, it took us almost six years for this channel to take off. So you, you have to have like this uh, almost unconditional love for your own creative work because it's going to be a while until it loves you back. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's a good way of phrasing it. Yeah. yeah, it's going to be a long time and it might never love you back. Mm. Yeah, I guess the point is to find that thing that you don't really care if it loves you back, right? You know, ideally it's yeah. great if it does become that revenue source for you and can feed you and you can just focus your time on that. But you're like doing it for the love of it, which ironically is going to be the differentiating factor for you having longevity to continue to see the growth, yeah. you know? So that's really, really interesting. Now to talk a little bit more specifically about long form and mm -hmm. podcasting, what is the difference you see with audio-based Apple, Spotify podcasts and yeah. then YouTube? Because they are different beasts, but there is some overlap. Yeah, I mean, the number one difference is discovery for sure. And that's like, you know, it's much more complicated than that, but the simplest form of it is like discovery. If, if we are exclusively an audio-based show, we're probably not reaching the amount of people that we can reach when we take it to YouTube, especially with the subject matter we cover um, being creators who are popular on YouTube. Um, the complications of adding uh, video is one thing. The complications of putting it on YouTube is another thing. Um, when you put it on YouTube, you are building in a direction, and I'm sure you know this, of packaging, titles, thumbnails, right? And that is at the beginning, what has to lead it until you build enough trust with an audience to say, hey, you know what, I'll, I'll listen to whatever Andre has to say. And if he has a guest on, I don't know. It's okay, I trust him as a curator. That takes some time um, to build that trust with people. So in the beginning, as you're building a show on YouTube, it's very much, how do I stick out in the sea of content, right? What is it? Is it gonna be... Um, just purely the guests I can have on, because that's also a challenging thing. Then every week now you're evaluating a guest based on their clickability. Um, is it the subject matter I'm covering? Is it some quote I can pull out of them? You know, what what is it that is that is sticking out and and suggesting to someone they should invest an hour into this? Um, but the discovery that you can get from YouTube is unlike it's unparalleled, right? Yeah, it's unparalleled to to anything else. Um, one of the biggest, most substantial differences in now having a show that's across both platforms, and maybe you see this too, is uh, the watch time and completion rates. Yeah. Right? Completion rate on audio is very high. Way high. It's like the triple. Yeah. It, yeah, triple. So 
people trust you in an audio environment different than they do on YouTube. Yeah. Um, they'll click on your show and just be like, I'm here. I'm not walking out the door. A YouTube video, if 70% of the people are still watching, like, you know, 10 minutes in, that's pretty substantial. And you think about that in the context of a movie. Imagine if you went to a movie and like 10 minutes in, 30% of the people just walked out. <laughs> It'd be so weird. But that's really normal on YouTube with the amount of choice that people have. And I think I look at audio as a permission-based environment where I've given you permission, maybe I've subscribed to, to know thyself on, on the RSS feed, or it's just part of my weekly routine that whenever you put out an episode, I'm, I'm gonna listen. So I've given you permission to like come into my world. On YouTube, as creators, we're trying to interrupt the audience. It's a more of an interruption-based environment mm -hmm. where just because we have 1.3 million subscribers does not mean 1.3 million people are seeing our thumbnail. Absolutely not. That's like that's like not the case at all. As your, I don't know what your numbers are, but I feel like it's around five to ten percent of what your actual like your views come from your subscriber feed. It's very little. Yeah, it's very little, especially from the subscription feed. So Which you're, most people are shocked to hear because they think once you have a lot of subscribers, then you just have a bunch. Yeah, of Yeah, it's not the case. It's yeah. just you you have to create something that's going to interrupt someone's feed. Right? Someone is scrolling, and then they're like, "Ooh, Colin and Spear just put out a new episode. Ooh, who's it with? Oh, that looks like an interesting subject." click, right? And then now we're in the next phase, which is, are we going to capture your attention for the next three minutes? Once we get three minutes, do we have you for the next 10 minutes, 20 minutes, right? And so editing a show for YouTube is very different from editing a show for, for audio. And having them live in both places has been challenging. And I think now we have a level of trust with a core audience. Um, but to find new audience, you're still playing You're playing that game, right? Of with all the choice in the world, why am I going to click on this? Why am I going to give it an hour? Why am I going to give it, you know, any time of day? For individuals that are starting a podcast that want to grow their podcast, you know, there's both the podcast audio strategy, which is just inherently much more difficult to grow unless mm -hmm. you're getting on the charts. Yeah. Like the discoverability, like you said, just isn't as much there. On the other hand, on YouTube, it's great. Even if you don't have a bunch of subscribers, you can grow your show substantially by understanding how to package it. Yeah. And so it's this balance of learning how to play the game on YouTube without letting the game play you, yes, <laughs> which is important. Uh, but I do want to talk about because YouTube is the place where if you are starting new, uh, if you are starting a new podcast and you want to break through in an industry that is very saturated and there's so many creators, we first talked about finding that niche and kind of, you know, clarifying that lane of what you want to create, but then understanding some things within the algorithm on YouTube and packaging will be a huge differentiating factor from whether or not your show takes off. And this is important to talk about because people can have real value that would be supportive to so many people and no mm -hmm. matter what field or industry you're in, but because you don't know how to package it, it's not reaching those people. And so that's kind of a shame, you know? And, yeah. and so let's talk about if you had to boil it down to the couple key metrics for growing on YouTube, uh, what would those be? First thing I want to say is that um, the definition of you know a high quality audience, which I think is what podcasting can create. Podcasting can create a very deep relationship with a high quality audience. Um, that is different for different people. Two hundred people could be a high quality audience for someone, right? Depending on what they want their outcome to be or who they want to impact, and I think sometimes we get skewed with the numbers that we see, mm. right? That does it need to be hundreds of thousands of people? Is there a reason why? Or is that pure based on like comparison and, and validation? Um, I think you have to deeply understand 
um, why you want certain outcomes. Like what does quote unquote making it mean as a podcaster? That's number one. Uh, the second thing on the question around metrics, you know, I think there's some, some ones on YouTube that are, have been talked about a ton over the past couple of years, maybe largely because of our show and our conversations with Mr. Beast being one of the biggest creators. Uh, the, the greatest quote from him is just, if they don't click, they don't watch. That's like number one. So that's um, click-through rate, right? So if you make a thumbnail, you're going to gauge based on how many people see this thumbnail, what percentage of people are clicking on it. Um, that's number one that you want to track, right? Which, break, which breaks down into thumbnail, title, and hook, really. Yeah. And then when you go from click-through rate, the next thing is average view duration. So you're saying how long, once they do click, how long are they watching? That comes into expectation setting. Exactly what you're talking about. There's a title, a thumbnail, and a hook. The question that I want to answer as a viewer is when I find a video and I'm like, ooh, that does seem interesting from a packaging perspective. I click on it. I go in. Was this the video I was expecting? Right? Is the first question I want to answer. That will keep me watching a little bit longer. And then the next thing is, are there unanswered questions that I want the answer to? So the first unanswered question is the packaging, the title and thumbnail, right? We call that an unclosed loop. So essentially, as like a consumer, you look at uh, a title and thumbnail, and if the loop doesn't close, you kind of get curious enough to click on it, hmm. right? So an Vox does a great job at unclosed loops. They They make videos that are like, I don't know, like why this chair was the most popular in 1956. And you're like, what the hell? Yeah, why was that so popular? You know, like, that's <laughs> yeah. like my mind needs to connect to that. It's right? interesting. I never heard of it phrased yeah. like this as well. And so then the first loop that closes is you click on it and all of a sudden like you're satisfied by something, which is, okay, this is that video about those chairs from 1956. That's cool. And then within 10 seconds, you want to introduce something new, right? That I'm waiting for. It's like, well, these were the most... These are photos of every building in 1956. Click, click, click. You see them. Notice these chairs? They're really popular. But what you didn't know is this guy and what he was doing at Delta Airlines. And you're just like, what was he doing? Right? And so I, I don't know, just coming up with these more questions that you want to Exactly. There's a answer. structure to scripting. And in podcasting, the way we both do that is through hooks from the conversation. Right. And so you're going to cut a montage of the different things that were talked about at different points in the conversation. And that's going to now create situations where it's like, ooh, I want to hear about that. What was that about? What did he say about that? I want to I want to continue. I feel like there's an important differentiating thing there as well as your job to, is to create more, and I don't do this as, as good as we could on the show, but to create more curiosity than yes. just like too obvious on the button, here's value. Exactly. If you give too much of the value up top also, then it's like, right. Well, then I just got it. Yeah. Um, yeah, you have to create curiosity. That's that's storytelling, right? It's um, There's a great bit from the creators of South Park. Have you seen this? Mm. Um, they say, if your story goes, this happens, and then this happens, and then this happens, and then this happens, your story's terrible, right? It has to go, this happened, therefore this happened, but then this happened, therefore this happened. Mm. So if you think about it in that way, um, your story has to, you know, connect to people and create enough curiosity if it's like unexpected twists, right? Of just this happened, but then this happened, therefore this happened. And if you look at even your podcast, the, your line of questioning, the way you're asking, you can storytell through that. You can ask questions in a way that's that builds upon that story rather than a fully linear narrative of this. Okay, so this happened and then this happened, huh? And then this happened, yeah. huh? And then you did this, huh? That's not as interesting as this happened but then this happened. Tell me about that. 
And therefore that happened, huh? And so if you, if you build that as a podcaster, that's what drives average view duration. Not necessarily any other tricks or hacks, you know, it's just good storytelling is what makes people listen and watch. Yeah, That can be done in the edit. You know, if we're having this conversation and you're like, hmm, that part wasn't as interesting as this part and it was a little bit too linear there, you can move that around. But yeah, looking approaching it as a storyteller is very important for mm. average view duration. Mm. The third thing I think we track from a metric perspective is engagement. And we look at that through the context of comments. Uh, we look at it through the context of, of just any level of engagement, likes, comments. We believe if we're not generating comments, then we're not actually creating anything worth talking about, right? It's not conversational. Um, and I think we want to be approaching our episodes uh, in a way that that drives conversation. And so we think about that a lot. So those are the three metrics I would look at is, if you're growing on YouTube is uh, click-through rate, average view duration, and then average comments per episode. Hmm. Beautifully said. That part about retention, it feels like, you know, as you're crafting the questions for your interview, it's the difference of just listening to respond and you have this kind of dry robot, robotic flow that and most people are familiar. If you listen to podcasts, you know the ones that are like, okay, this person clearly has a plan versus the one where there is that more storytelling aspect and it feels almost more musical. It's like mm. a dance you're witnessing with your ears. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the most challenging parts is to be present and to not like have right. your plan because your plan is going to get thrown off, yeah. right? No matter what. And so to be present enough. And then again, over time, as you build your skill set as a host, your audience will appreciate your presence. And if there's a little inroad that someone says and you go down that path and you didn't expect to go down that path, that's also part of the unexpected storytelling. Mm. You've, been privileged enough to hang out and work and, you know, be around Mr. Beast mm. for, for some time. And, you know, I think he's a genius when it comes to understanding this down to his science. Sure. Right. And so one, another thing I want to just touch on with the thumbnail is what, what are the most important qualities to a thumbnail that is most clickable, you know, and, and what are some tricks and hacks that you've learned about why somebody's going to click a thumbnail over, you know, another one? Yeah, I think the most important thing is like attracting the right audience. So, you know, there's been a lot of times where we've over-designed thumbnails. We've, you know, designed them to a point where we don't like them. They don't fit our brand, but we think they'll work. And I think that's the worst thing you can do. I think you really have to. One thing that Jimmy said to me one time we were driving around um, close to a studio, he, he, we were talking about episodes and he was like, pitch me the most sensational version of that title. And I don't remember what one it was, but we we said it to him. We pushed as far as we could, me, him, and Colin just started throwing out the most ridiculous, like the, we, it would make us laugh how absurd these titles were. And he was like, okay, cool. Now pull that back to where you're comfortable with your brand. And it was a really interesting exercise to go, okay, that's that's fascinating. Pull this, like what's the most clickbaity, ridiculous, sensational version of this? Now let's pull it back from there. Uh, and that was kind of an interesting exercise to see like, what, what are we uncomfortable with? What are we, um, so in terms of like what, what types of thumbnail works, I think, um, you have to think about the title and thumbnail as, um, interacting with each other, not the exact same thing. Right. Yeah. So if you said like an interview with Samir as the title, which is a bad title, um, and then it said Samir on the thumbnail and pointed to me. It's <laughs> like- you see all the time. Yeah, it's just like, okay, you just repeated yourself. So you now need to think about this as like a, a one-two punch. Uh, so think about like the title as being complementary to what's happening on the thumbnail. And the thumbnail, 
whatever's on the thumbnail should just add context into um, what I'm about to watch or what the unclosed loop is that I'm I'm trying to um, close. So if it's, you know, how, I don't know, how Samir built an audience of a million people. Okay, interesting. Um, kind of an interesting title for some people. Uh, in the thumbnail, is there an additional layer there, which is like, it's not what you think, or, you know, mm -hmm. uh, it was this exact moment or a quote from me that seems really unexpected. Now it's like, okay, how he did it is actually something I couldn't have even imagined, right? Because the thumbnail is now reflecting something different. So that that's a really important piece is that those two things should interact with each other, not be the same thing. Yeah, I see. I mean, we see it all the time, but often when people are fresh in the podcasting space on YouTube, they just put the episode number, the podcast name, yeah. the guest name, and then they just put the same thing on their thumbnail. And also it's like super small, you know, totally. like you want to have an enlarged guest face and then yeah. be very- High contrast, yeah. you know, like you, you, you want it to contrast and pop out. Um, I will say I'm impressed with the people who have bad thumbnails and get a million people to click. Mm. You know, I think his show's great, but Theo Vaughn, I think his thumbnails are insane. They're mm. so busy. But the the I, what I want to compliment him on is that just by doing that, having like what we call the the anti-thumbnail at times <laughs> can actually be a thing in itself. Lex right? Friedman also Lex thumbnails Friedman, are yeah. pretty bad. You know? Yeah, I mean, at least they're like big, bold guests. Like sure. it's like Mark Zuckerberg. That's why he says, can get away with yeah, it. Yeah, right? and Lex... I think those creators, when you look at them, they've earned that, right? Yeah, they've totally. done it for years. They've earned that, right? And that is a true community. That's yeah. like where people are clicking no matter what. They just recognize it and they're like, yeah. So I think the the other piece is like a level of consistency. Someone should, you should close your eyes and imagine, you know, in a know thyself thumbnail. Like right now I can imagine that. And you could probably imagine one of our thumbnails, mm -hmm. right? And that is super important because as you're perusing YouTube, you should be able to stop and go, oh, I did like that show. I wonder what this one's about. Um, that's super important to, to settle into a consistency. Another thing that we just kind of mentioned is the guest selection in terms of growing the show, especially yeah. on YouTube, who you have on your show and also who you choose not to have on your show is going to be a big important differentiating factor mm -hmm. for you know, the who's going to click on your videos and for podcasting, especially, you know, you could have a horrible thumbnail title and if, yet if there's a good guest, sure. you know, you can grow a lot. So what has been your process of getting prominent figures on your show on the journey to getting to the point where now you can have most creators, you know, yeah. on your show, but on the journey, it's a process of making those connections of figuring out your way to be able to have. And then, you know, once you have one of the, a big creator or a couple other, then you start to be noted, like you start, people start to recognize you as a platform that is worthy of having bigger creators on and mm. then they want to come on. So yeah. what has your journey been with that? And then also after that as well, who you say no to? Yeah, our number one filter today is authentic interest. Like we, it's very hard for us to have a two-hour conversation with someone we're not authentically interested in, yeah. and it's happened before, right? Like where uh, we we found ourselves in those environments where we're like, okay, this is we're not that interested in this conversation. So just because it's a prominent person or creator does not mean that you know we sh we as Colin and Samir should sit down with them. Um, we were really fortunate in the beginning that, again, we were embedded in this community. Like our second episode was with Marquez Brownlee, who's like a, a, a very big tech YouTuber. Um, you know, our fourth episode was with Mr. Beast. And so that was largely just because these were friends and people that we had communicated with and had chatted with in the past and um, were super open to, to coming on the show. So I think 
Um, those are the, when I say second and fourth, those are the second and fourth episodes on YouTube. We had been doing the podcast as an audio podcast for three years prior to that. So I think that practice and that again, being actually authentically part of the community is what gets people to say yes. Like what podcast do you say yes to, to go as on as a guest? Mine? Like yeah. person? Yeah. Uh, it's very, very like, few. Very few. But if it's like your friend, right. you would say yes, right? Or of if course. it's someone you respect or that you know, you would say yes. Yeah. So getting to the yes early on, it never happened through pure cold outreach. It happened because they, these were warm relationships um, that people trusted us and they were willing to, to come on. And then that trust builds through social proof, obviously, right? So immediately it's like, okay, Marquez was happy with his episode. He tweeted it out. He liked it. That's huge social proof. Now other people are interested. And today it's primarily inbound uh, of people reaching out to us. And um, we do go outbound and reach out to a few people. We have like a dream guest list that we keep. Um, but, you know, I think you have to, you have to uh, embody a value and an understanding over time that people can look at your show and go, that's why I would come on that show to, to talk. Hmm. Um, I think, I hope that's a good answer. I think uh, it's been... It hasn't been as strategic, you know, it's been very natural and I think uh, so incredibly inbound at this point. Um, who do we say no to again? It's, if we don't feel like we're authentically curious about that person or if we don't think that there's a story to tell there. Um, and we do pre-calls now. We do pre-calls to just understand from the guest. It's a collaboration. So like, what are we making together? Yeah. What is this this piece that we are making together? Um, and are we both excited about it? Is there something new we can do? Um, that's a super important piece of our process is those pre-calls. Uh, they're almost like chemistry reads at some point of like, what's our chemistry like? How should we approach the conversation? Uh, do we make each other laugh? You know, what is it uh, about this that's going to be uh, collaborative? And again, what the, the most important questions we ask are, what are you not excited to talk about? What have you What have you talked about so much? Typically people say my origin story. And that in podcasting is something you can spend an hour on, right? Mm -hmm. Being like, so how did this all happen? You know, that's that's a question that a lot of people don't really want to get into. So we've learned that and we ask that. And then what are you obviously excited to talk about? And then something that Tim Ferriss told us was he just, it's a very simple question, but he says, what would make this experience a win for you? It's a very simple question. You ask it, you start to understand their motives for coming on the show. Mm -hmm. So, um, and there's been times where we've done pre-calls and the chemistry is not there and we're like, it's not the right time. Powerful. Yeah. What's one thing, because you're someone who's very in the know with what's to come. I feel like in the creator space, mm. I'll show interviewing, you know, top execs at YouTube yeah. and the CEO and uh, what's to come in terms of like A-B testing that's rolling out or mm -hmm. AI features and dubbing and like all this stuff just quickly because I want to go into the business side sure, of things sure. as well. But yeah. what are some things? Yeah, I think... Um, AI is like very present, right? Like it's it's a very present thing that's entering the creative workflow and 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 space. Um, you know, A/B testing I think is a is a precursor to potentially AI generated thumbnails, right? Um, I think everything in media is getting hyper personal, everything, and AI is the introduction of how personal it can truly get. I don't know if you've seen the UI of ChatGPT where you know you can explain to it a story and it can spit out images. Think about that in the context of like a kid and a parent and a parent basically creating a cartoon directly for that kid that looks like that kid that embodies the uh, environment that they're in. 
And I think that if you're in the uh, advice or how-to space, I do think that's going to get into question. I think we as consumers potentially will trust computers more than we will people when it comes to how to do things. Uh, it already happens you know, when it comes to directions, right? Do you remember the era where your mom would give you directions and write them on a post-it? I don't know how, how much older I am than you, but <laughs> that was a reality in my life. If my mom gave me directions and wrote on a post-it, I'd be like, that's insane. I'm going to use Google Maps. Like Google knows way better than you. Right. Or if I pulled over and said, how do I get to this place? And, and, a, and a person told me I would not trust them as much as I trust AI, right? Yeah. Uh, Google Maps. So I think there's a potential of the how-to genre or the advice genre uh, could get put into question uh, in terms of do we prefer that from a human being or do are there elements of it that we prefer from uh, a computer? And I think every tech platform is advancing very fast to roll out AI features. Some of it is really awesome, like dubbing. I think dubbing is super cool. Like the fact that this show pretty soon will be essentially available in every language. Um, you know, through either Spotify or YouTube, and that can be selected by the consumer. Like that's that's pretty amazing. But that's part of the hyper personal nature of the next chapter of media. Is just imagine that consumers have every choice to make um, what they want to do, what what they want to watch, extremely personal to them. I think as creators, we have to think about depth. And I would just imagine this: like if the the creators that are going to win in the next chapter are going to be the ones who can fill a room. You know, I know you did a live event and the room, you know, is packed. That's really special. So as you're growing, think about what are you doing that's connecting to the audience at that level of depth that they would come out to an event of yours or that they actually would like to physically show up. I think that's going to become increasingly more important as AI enters into our world, um, that the creators that are going to win are not just going to be feeding the the content machine. They're actually going to be understanding that these are human beings on the other side mm. that are looking for depth of connection, transformation, community connection. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's so important to prioritize that depth of connection. Yeah. And especially as the exponential technologies such as AI are rising, yeah. the value of having that depth of connection and then also the size of your audience as those technologies roll out, which will just be like fuel on the fire for what you already have totally. is, is exciting. I mean, you know, people feel like podcasting is so oversaturated and it feels like everybody and their mom does have a podcast. But the reality is that if you can find that uniquely and for you, cultivate that audience, those thousand true fans, whatever it yeah. is, then when these technologies roll out, it's like, you know, it's just going to be even more accessible to more people on the planet, which is very exciting. Uh, all right. So I want to talk a little bit about the money and business side of podcasting. Mm -hmm. So we'll go kind of through some of these things. Um, in terms of the pie of the business for Colin and yeah. Samir, what is what percentage would you say is YouTube AdSense revenue versus sponsorship dollars? That's that's changed quite a bit this year. For the first time, AdSense has become significant for us. Mm. Um, I think, though, in terms of the pie, it's ten percent. Ten percent of our business is YouTube AdSense. Got it. Uh, in terms of sponsorships on the show, um, that's probably closer to. 85%. Uh, and I say 85% because some of those sponsorships include other pieces, whether it's uh, a bit of consulting or speaking engagements. Um, so partnerships fills out the rest of the 90% um, right now. So everything is advertising and partnership-based. Um, that's that's the pie chart of Colin and Samir mm. right now. And you know, I think that'll change next year as we start exploring direct-to-consumer 
content, both through subscriptions uh, as well as through courses. Um, those are at two different price points. That's a whole different business when you yeah. go direct to your consumer and ask them to take out a credit card. But I do think there's a lot of power in having the community fund the content mm-hmm. that they they want. Um, they are your number one. Like your community and your audience is your number one. The advertiser is there to access them. So if you're not fully focused on your audience and your community, uh, n- none of it matters, right? And you do that through making content that's valuable to them. But yeah, right now the, the pie chart is is 10% YouTube AdSense, 90% partnerships and sponsorships. Mm-hmm. Cool. I do want to talk about those creator-made products in a yeah. moment. But first, what is, what, what's like a good CPM on a long-form podcast that you found? Or that for your we guys? don't sell on a CPM basis. Uh, and I'm very adamant about that. For sponsorships? Yeah. We mm-hmm. flat rate it. Um, what, what On the YouTube, Google side of things? Oh, on the Google side of things? What is that? Um, I could grab my phone and just sure. show you. Yeah, I'm happy to. It's out there. Okay, I'm going to grab it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> grab it. <laughs> okay, so it, it, the most important thing to recognize is that... Um, AdSense is pretty volatile. It can be very volatile. Um, you know, just to give you some of the numbers from the past couple months, in May of this year, our AdSense revenue was $25,799. In the following month, June, which we did not upload that many more, maybe one more episode, $42,679. So dramatic increase. Sometimes it's time of year, it's seasonality. Like you're not in control of that. That is a relationship between YouTube and their advertisers. So, you know, you are in control of how much you're publishing and how much inventory essentially you're creating for YouTube. But the rates that sponsors are are paying is, you know, somewhat dependent on Google and the advertisers and their sales team. Now, the things you can do is, I would say that the biggest thing that has changed and had us go from averaging, you know, closer in the 20,000 a month to, you know, 40,000 plus, um, the biggest X factor has been length and the fact that we're more comfortable putting up a two hour podcast and we're more comfortable because our audience is more trusting of us to watch two hours. Our episodes used to be 20 minutes. And putting more mid rolls. Yeah, and that inherently puts more right. mid-rolls into it. Yeah, so it's like our episodes used to be 20 minutes long, and a lot of that was fear. You know, there was times where we would record for three hours and cut it down to 30 minutes. Mm. Um, and it's taken years to build trust with our audience to say, if, if it's a two-hour conversation, we're going to shepherd the conversation in a way that's valuable throughout, you know? And then also being okay with that, some of the value is the in-between moments and the fun stuff and the laughter and the, you know, there is some value to that. Um, and the reality of just sinking into the conversation exactly how it happened. So that's been, that's been really, uh, great for us. The Mm -hmm. CPM right now that we're trading at like 20. Yeah. Yeah. So in the last 28 days, let's see. Yeah. It's about $22. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so then your RPM is like what? Like $10. Yeah. Got it. 10 to $11. Yeah. Cool. So, I mean, if people don't know that, you know, CPM cost per milli, what the advertisers are paying for a thousand views. And so then the RPM comes down to 10. So if you get a million views on a video, that's 10 10 grand. And people don't realize how the cumulative amount of views that your channel is getting over the course of a month. You know, if you have a thousand videos doing a thousand views per month, that's a million views per month, which which would, yeah. Yeah, I think the the catalog is uh, undervalued as you're approaching it, but it's why everything should build on its 
on itself. Like the goal is that an audience member can watch an episode and then watch two more, right? And then you turn one person who's who's coming into someone who can consume a large part of the catalog. Or if someone, you know, we just saw a tweet recently that someone like found the show and then they said they watched every episode over the past month. And it's like, that's a hundred plus episodes that that person is watching. Um, so the goal is that the catalog is, and, and the, the biggest difference between YouTube and any other platform is how valuable your catalog can get over time. Um, and I think that is something you have to recognize is that it also helps you zoom out and look at performance of episodes and say, if this one didn't perform, it's okay. It's like putting a book on a shelf of a library that you own, that the goal is as more foot traffic comes into the library, people have books that you're proud of that they can pick up and, and read the stories, right? And that's that's a YouTube catalog or, yeah, or library. Great. So, I mean, you've spoken to how you know, this, the YouTube ad revenue can be pretty volatile. Yeah. And I see a lot of creators that pin all of their income and revenue right. just on that. Just I would not advise that. So yeah. much stress that yeah, comes from it. That's a good amount of revenue if it's especially yeah. only 10% of the pie or whatever it mm. is roughly. Uh, but uh, so going on the sponsorship side of things, you said that you don't do CPM based. How yeah. do you approach, because I know you're, you're pretty well versed in this whole space of bringing on sponsors for the show in this whole industry, uh, how do how do people navigate getting sponsors for their show? And then how do you price yourself? Yeah, pricing is interesting, especially in the beginning. Yeah. Um, you know, how I thought about it was, I was very confused about this as we started to pick up traction. The first thing I did is actually say, how much does it cost for us to operate? I just didn't know the answer to that question. Like, what is the operating cost of this YouTube channel or this show? And at the time, it was just me and Colin. So the operating cost as a creative or a creator is also your living cost. Like how much does it cost you to live? And both of us didn't know the answer to those questions. And so we just literally took to pen and paper and I wrote two columns. I wrote outs and ins. And outs was write down everything that goes out of the bank account, you know, both our personal and our collective account. And then on the in, write down everything that is regularly coming in. And as I looked at that, you know, at the, in the beginning, it was probably like, I don't know, 10,000 bucks a month that we needed to generate to just comfortably pay our rent and live. Mm -hmm. uh, we wanted to operate at a 40% margin. I kind of just came up with that, you know, and was like, that seems like a healthy margin. Okay, so we need to generate $14,000 a month. All right, so how many episodes are we doing? We're doing one a week. Okay, cool. So what's 14 divided by four? That's our price. <laughs> you know, that's literally how I came up with our, our price uh, when we first started. Um, and then to build in some healthy, you know, wiggle room, it was like, okay, let's charge 5,000 bucks an episode. Okay, let's go out to the market. Does anyone want to buy? No? Okay. Then, Which to then give some sell. sort of context, I suppose if you get 100,000 views on a video, yeah. do you feel like 100 CPM is aggressive, is like fair? I think it depends on the so, audience you're building. You mm -hmm. know, and the brand, I think, I think that's undervaluing the brand that you build. Yeah. You know, like I think brands trade at exceptional rates at times if they're really good brands. Mm. Um, and I think you you have to focus on that, you know, and let 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 your actions uh, have the market catch up to the price you want. I feel like creators are so familiar with undervaluing themselves. Of course. <laughs> yeah, of course. We're we're riddled with self-doubt and you know, that's who we are. We're creatives. We're like highly sensitive people and um yeah, we're just 
it's, it's challenging to be confident in your own self-worth, especially when there's a dollar amount next to it. Um, but yeah, my, my strategy for this was to say, that's how much we need to do this show. I'm not going to sell ads into the show until the market meets that rate. And we would go out and we built this pitch deck that was, um, you know, largely what our, what our course is about is building that pitch deck for yourself of saying, who's my audience? What's my value proposition? How do I find brands that are looking to give that value to that same audience? How do I explain to them the show I'm making? How do they explain to them the rate I want? And then we wanted to sell in packages of three episodes yeah. to say, listen, the portfolio will perform. That's our opinion. Um, it's really important also to get the data and have the longevity there to know where the partnership can go. And yeah, totally. also we do on this podcast, and I'm like, yeah, three to six episode package yeah. minimums too. Yeah, and again, like it's not that the market was there when we first asked for those rates. So mm -hmm. then we continued doing oddball freelance projects like every creator does. You yeah. know, like you just <laughs> figure it out. I just felt that I didn't want to start off selling at a lower rate than I was comfortable with, yeah. and that the show should be, um, you know, in the market at a certain price. And then that accelerated pretty rapidly because the show was accelerating in growth in brand in, um, you know, just position in the space because we were hyper-focused on audience and value. And today, you know, it's the same thing. It's, it's there's not typically, maybe actually, I, I'm pretty confident to say never in our conversations are we talking about viewership or listenership. Um, and that was really important to me was that we are building a brand that represents something and we're finding brands and, and sponsors that are interested in associating with that message yeah. that's important because we can get caught in the transactional narrative yeah of, totally i'm getting this amount of views on average so that equates to this yeah. amount of cpm and it's like no i'm creating something that is extremely premium feeling that has a lot of value with the audience and it's not just necessarily and i know some brands need to have conversion numbers minimums sure to hit yeah which is understandable but then at the same time you're getting a part you're getting to be a part of something uh and attaching yourself to a brand that is extremely valuable and that inherently has so much. Yeah. And we've also value. said no when we talk to a brand and we're like, what's, what are you expecting out of this? And if it's an expectation that we don't think makes sense for our show, then we're like, okay, well, it doesn't make sense because we want renewals. We want annual partnerships. We want uh, a few long term partnerships, not a ton of short term partnerships. Yeah. So you spoke to just creating a media debt kit and then, mm -hmm. you know, doing your reach out or oftentimes as you grow, the company start reaching out to you and then yeah. you can have those conversations. We'll kind of leave it there because I do want to mention about the creator made products, which is something yeah. that is really, it's been, you know, we've been seeing with Mr. Beast and Feastables, Logan and Prime, you know, on the core side of things like Ali, yeah. uh, it uh, is crushed it with his courses. You part-time YouTuber yeah. Academy, you're creating your own course mm -hmm. now. I'm releasing my own podcasting course yeah. now. How do you feel into this whole creator made product space? Yeah, I think you have to know again, like what is your value proposition that you're providing to your audience? And then you have to build an extension of that. Um, now, when you're at the size of Jimmy or Logan, like there's a, uh, we, we spoke to some uh, very knowledgeable people in the space and they said, listen, there's, there's consumables and there's collectibles. And the people at the top can create consumables, right? Emma Chamberlain, Logan Paul, Mr. Beast, they're all making consumables. And consumables are for mass market. And Logan is a mass market creator, right? He can he can do something and millions of people will just tune into it. Uh, and Prime was like, 
I mean, I think I think it's probably most potentially most successful creator business to date. Yeah, uh, and I think be. the outcome of that will will shock a lot of people. The people from within the community it won't shock us, but it will shock a lot of people when when the outcome of that uh, comes to a head. But I think as um, as you know, a creator, I think you just have to deeply understand the value you're providing to your audience. Like if the value you're providing to your audience is a sense of community, a sense of identity, maybe it's merchandise, right? Maybe people do want to wear shirts and, um, you know, Danny Duncan has built an incredible merchandise business and those are kind of collectibles, right? That's like, you know, uh, items that, that signify that you're part of the community that, that you are, um, you know, inside of that, if your value proposition is education and self-development, then yeah, a course or an extension of education and self-development makes sense. So I think you have to really understand like, why are people here? And then what is an extension of that that I can offer? Now, what we're going through, what I think a lot of people go through is when you, your primary customer is your audience or your primary kind of person you care about every day is, is the community and the audience, but you never ask them to take out a credit card or pay, and that all of this has been funded by brands and sponsors, it's a very different relationship when you say, hey, now here's something I'm gonna do that that you have to pay for. Especially when it's something they're not used to paying for, like videos, right? Like if they're not used to paying for videos, it feels way different than saying, I'm selling a hat. It's like, yeah, okay, I pay for hats from other people, I'd like to pay for a hat from you. Uh, but you're selling videos, which is something that you show up in videos for them free or ad supported. And now you're saying, take out your credit card. That's a that's a challenging thing to to navigate. And you have to really figure out how to communicate to your to your audience. And and we're figuring that out right now. You know, mm. it's not, it's not a it's all learning, you know, process of of figuring out like how do I how do I show you that I have good intentions with this? <laughs> you know, because I think the brand of of releasing paid content is very much like there's been too many instances of it being not valuable, actually, just to you know some level of cash grab, some level of you know, yeah. And so it's 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 hard. Um, it's got to be. It's just so interesting to navigate having that authentic conversation and dialogue with your audience because we've seen and spoke to you know some creators that have made a course and their audience did not react well. And it's like, especially within this like cancel culture online of YouTube, yeah. it's like you're guilty and proven innocent. Totally. And and you don't want to over justify yourself either because then it's like, right. are you underconfident about this thing? Right. <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's tricky to navigate, but I think it's. Uh, it's you just have to honestly believe you're actually providing value. Yeah. You know, and, and then you have to back that up and and be like, there's a reason why I'm I'm asking you to pay for it. Um and some of that for me when it comes to education is like I I'm I've done improv classes and it's like, yeah, sure. Can I learn improv from watching free YouTube videos? Sure. But there's something to, you know, taking out my credit card, paying for it, going to the class, having it be like structured, a framework, a curriculum that I I think it's super valuable to pay for that. And I think that in developing curriculum, in developing a course, we're creating something that is for the people who would like to take out their credit card, pay for it, be a part of a curriculum, be a part of a framework. And if you don't want to do it, you absolutely do not have to. We will, there, nothing will change about yeah. what we're doing. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting dynamic to shift the business in that way and say, you know, we're going from being a business to business company, right? We're actually, we deal with businesses. 
YouTube is a business. You know, we're in partnership with YouTube to um, sell advertising on our channel and our content. We talk to sponsors who are businesses. They pay for um, space in our videos to access our audience. That is a business-to-business relationship. When you turn your face over here and say, now I'm in a direct-to-consumer relationship with thousands of my audience, that's that's a completely different business. And you have to recognize those are two different businesses. Yeah, you got to respect them. You really do. Individually, because, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. They're, they're two different beasts. And uh, as a creative, like you, you have this thing that you start out with that you're really passionate about. And then it's like the business side of things is a whole different skill set. Yeah. And uh, it's got to be, that skill set's got to be cultivated, so... And it's, it, are you, do you have representation or huh. who, you sell your ads yourself? No, myself. Yeah. What I did is just create a list of like the top five to seven companies that I love the most. Yeah. And then I just hit up their CMO or somebody on their team to nice. hop on a call and just pitch the vision of what I'm creating. Oh, I and, love that. It's um, great. That's, I felt like I could get the most, you know, uh, competitive rates, but then also keep the whole pie of the, whatever the revenue is. Yeah, that's great. Um, I think if you're not like that, it's compl- like, 10%, 15% even up to that. That's that's where I'd be comfortable. I'm not comfortable anything beyond that. Yeah. That is uh, worthwhile totally. if your brain doesn't work in the way of, you know, business negotiation, contracts. Like that is a, that can be a taxing thing on a creative. Yeah. Um, I just want a voice that it's like completely, it's totally uh, not only r- reasonable thing to do, but important thing to do if you are a true creative to get representation. To find the right representation is another story, but to have representation as a creative, I do think is yeah. valuable if you do not think like that. Yeah, you want to stay in your zone of genius. And if there's some yeah. overlap there, that's great. But I think you should understand the product you're selling mm-hmm. and how it works and the ins and outs of that so that you can have an educated conversation with your represent- representation, but you do not have to be on those calls. Yeah. Very last thing that we'll yeah. riff on very quickly is just, you know, you spoke to Ali Abdallah said, like, mm-hmm. I don't even want to sell on YouTube. There yeah. is so much power in building a newsletter or having an email mm-hmm. list where yeah. you can have these conversations kind of off, you know, and typically convert better as well. And so I'm just curious, uh, the power of creating a free offering to start to build an email list is one thing that I wish I started even earlier yeah. on. And, you know, with Published Press and what you guys yeah. are creating there, massive. So any, any words that you have just for uh, recommending what people can do there? creating that. Yeah. I think that's another thing coming back to practicing in private. We wrote an internal newsletter, which was the published press just for our team for two months. And we wrote it twice a week because we wanted to see, is this a real thing we like doing? (laughs) Does it carry any value? Can we dig into the process of actually figuring this out? And once it was ready, we expanded the list a little bit and a little bit and a little bit. And I think that there's a lot of pressure right now to be like, I have a business idea, it's gonna be big. But you can just dig into the process of it. So newsletters are great because they're permission-based environments. You've subscribed to this newsletter. You've given us permission to be in your inbox three times a week. Amazing. That's great. That means most likely, if you are the type of person who enjoys learning about creator business, you're opening the newsletter. Right, So now we actually have hyper-defined an audience in a permission-based environment, uh, which is exactly what we want to do as a media company. Right, We want to make sure that we're providing value to a specific audience in an environment that we can control. Um, and that, that's why newsletters are fantastic, because we own, we own that list. That's our audience list. Um, they've given us permission to, to give them content and give them value. Um, if you are someone who's thinking about that and want to do it, like if, if you're thinking about it, I would write it 
and send it to, I've heard you talk about, and I've talked to Matt about this too, like your, your men's group. Mm-hmm. Just send it to those eight guys mm-hmm. and be like, what do you guys think about this? Write it once a week. Get into the flow of writing. Become a good newsletter writer, then release it. Yeah. You know, I think that's really important. There's a ton of value. I think newsletters are so incredibly valuable. But to find your voice as a newsletter writer is is another thing you should focus on as a, as a craft and practice that in private first. And then, of course, then you can offer your sponsors a link in there, right? And then it's like another avenue to reach that audience that you're uh, that you're reaching. Amazing. Great. So we've covered a lot here. This has been all so fascinating and I can't wait to ask you some other qu- questions in, uh, in private. But yeah. to wrap this up, I want to do a rapid fire. Cool. Let's do it. So just uh, as succinct as possible, what is your favorite thing about podcasting? Long conversations. <laughs> That's exploring myself and exploring uh, other people through long conversations. What's one aspect of podcasting that you didn't realize would be as fulfilling as it is? Uh, the relationships, the long-term relationships you develop with your guests. Mm. Yeah, that's incredibly fulfilling. What's the number one thing that's contributed to the most growth of your show? Repetition. Repetition and practice. Mm. What does your preparation for each show look like? Can elaborate a little bit. If you want. Yeah, that one's going to be hard to, <laughs> <laughs> to, to be succinct. Uh, it, it involves uh, research. It involves listening, but uh, the relationship with that has changed over time. Like uh, authentic curiosity is so important in a conversation. If you're over prepared, sometimes you don't allow. Uh, and then I would say improv class has been super important in preparation mm. for episodes. Uh, what do you feel like is the most val- valuable thing to outsource as you're starting to grow a team for your podcast? Whatever it is that brings you friction in your day-to-day. Yeah, because if you enjoy the editing, edit. That's great. Hmm. If you enjoy making the thumbnails, make the thumbnails. But you know, you first have to take a step back and say, what do I absolutely not want to do? What is, what is energy depleting for me? Mm-hmm. And then outsource that. At this point, how big is your team? Six uh, in office every day and 14 total. How do you deal with saying no when friends ask to come on the show? (laughs) If you've had that. That's hard. Uh, It's super hard. Um, Yeah, navigating that. But I think just uh, as honest as possible, you know, it's uh, it's hard though. That's hard. How how often are people reaching out to come on the show? Like per day? Like per like multiple. How many people per day? Yeah, I'm just curious. Like it's got to be some, five to ten. Yeah. 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 And has there been any successful cold emails or people that have reached out that you've actually had on? Yeah, yeah. definitely. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And you've just done research and found out more about them, or maybe you already knew of them. Oh, I mean, typically we know about them. Yeah. If it's a, yeah. I mean, yeah. Actually, no. There's been a really successful one uh, that was relatively cold it wasn't it's not it can't qualify as cold because it was an introduction hmm. uh but it was uh miles fisher who's deep fake tom cruise that was like one of my favorite episodes of this year oh, yeah. <laughs> and i just met him one time and i was just like ah you are so interesting we have to yeah. do this episode yeah yeah all right last final piece of advice that you have for podcasters that are getting to the space that have the aspiration to grow their show and become successful and all the things we talked about uh what do you what's one thing that you want to hmm. leave them with Um, as you go into it, do some goal setting in three different categories of what you want podcasting to create for you. One is lifestyle. What do you 
expect the lifestyle of a podcaster to be? Do you enjoy the long conversations with people? Um, because that in and of itself is a reward. Like this right now, this is a reward. We just had a great conversation. It's done. That is different from the next piece, which is you're going to edit it, you're going to put it out, the performance of it, the outcome that this generates, that's a separate thing. If you truly believe this is a rewarding experience to have long conversations, great, understand that. Uh, the next piece is financial. What do you want the financial outcome to be? It's okay to be honest with that. You know, How much do you want to make from doing this? How many episodes do you have to do at what rate um, for that to happen? How many sponsors do you need per episode? And then there's the creative side. Is this the, the most creatively fulfilling thing you want to do? How do you want your creative to impact yourself? How do you want it to impact others? How do you want it to transform people? Um, just taking a pen to paper and thinking about some of those questions is really important going into podcasting because mm. it's a long journey. Yeah. It's a very long journey. I love that. It's yeah. beautiful to demystify the process of it and just give people the realistic um, ad advice of just what do you need from your show? What do you want to create from it? Yeah. Or the numbers you need per episode to sustain mm -hmm. yourself? And then it's the journey of, of realizing it, uh, which most people don't see the dog ears and the shadows yeah. of refining themselves, of you guys, of you and Colin, four plus years of just yeah. having really no big audience. Yeah, no audience, no sponsors. But it was a very therapeutic experience to talk to each other on mics for an hour a week. Yeah. It really was. We wouldn't miss it. So mm. that's what, it. yeah, you have yeah. to love it. Find the, find the joy in it. And last one I want to throw in here. Yeah. Do you have any advice for myself and my own show that you've seen from afar that you would uh, optimize, that you think is good, that I should lean into? Just anything there? It's a good question. I think... Um, I think one of the things I would like to know more of is like who you consider to be your audience. Hmm. Like who are you, who is your target audience? If you were to break them down into three avatars mm -hmm. out of curiosity, I'm, yeah. What what is that? Uh, it'd probably be somebody that's similar to myself and my age, a okay. dude in his younger twenties that is discovering spirituality and more esoteric topics, and finds to be uh, finds it comforting to find individuals on the same path that mm -hmm. you can walk that life path. Um, Another one would be. My advice is to know this answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's know the three different archetypes of who's in the audience and then why they watch. Um, and then have that come through through your line of questioning. Mm. That's valuable. I'm gonna I'm gonna ponder on that. Yeah. I was thinking of so many different things. Like there's so, <laughs> right. cause I look at my backend analytics and I feel like the sure. people that comment, there's people from all walks of life at all ages yeah. that you know, but I feel like the core theme is really just discovering more about themselves and living a, a yeah. healthy human life. <laughs> right, right. And uh, so, yeah, beautiful. And that's a that's a great invitation too for people to. My um, mom's in your audience. Yes, I've told you that. Yeah, my that's, mom watches the show. That's which awesome. Is great. Yeah. Let's go. Mama, what's her name? <laughs> Savita. Mama yeah. Savita. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. Thank you so much for coming on, man. I've, I've enjoyed this and excited to continue continue the conversation. And good luck with your course and everything that's going on in your Thanks, world. Thanks, man. You too. Yeah. All right, if you made it to the end, congratulations. I have a little gift for you. First off, I hope you found some of that information valuable. There is so much depth and nuance when it comes to podcasting and what it really takes to create a successful show that impacts millions of people. And I love everything that both Aubrey and Samir showed. This whole podcasting journey is really a process of self-discovery. I've learned so much about myself and the whole process of what I really value, what I wanna share with the world, who I wanna talk to, the conversations I wanna steward. And so if you're somebody that's been feeling the itch of podcasting, podcasting or content creation and really just expressing and sharing your voice and message with the world at bigger and bigger scales, I highly recommend you listen to that voice and lean in. It can lead you to some incredible 
places. I know it has for me and I know it can for you as well. If you made it to the end of this episode, if you go to podcastpurpose.com, we're going to be giving away a couple of all access passes to the course. And so if you're looking for expert guidance to guide you through the whole process, A through Z for podcasting and content creation and thumbnail generation and what do I even name my show about and what are the real secrets to growing the show? How do I scale it for audio versus video differently? How do I make money from the show and add sponsors and create my own products? It's really a fully comprehensive course for anybody that wants to start a podcast or scale theirs. So just by going to podcastpurpose.com, you can enter a raffle and for the dedicated Know Thyself listeners, we're going to be giving away a couple of free all access passes where you're going to be able to join the course for completely free. And this is just my gift back to you. I hope that you win. I hope that you enjoy and I hope that you got some value from this episode. Until next time, be well.